Hi, welcome back to Paperback Readers. The uh, holiday edition here. Hope everybody's doing well and uh, enjoying companionship, friendship, and good food. Maybe not even in that order. I mean, <laughs> do what you like. I'm, I'm here for all of it. But. We are both looking forward to the Thanksgiving holiday in the hopes that we can get some reading in. Um, I've been a little bit more prolific than you, but um, neither of us is knocking it out of the park. No, no, I've done horribly, and my one defense is I've got a lot of things going, and I keep stringing some of them along. I mean, I'm going to give a spoiler here. One spoiler is, I say this because we're near the holidays, the Baseball 100 is the best baseball book I've read this year. It might be the best book book I've read this year. If you know somebody who loves baseball, buy them the Baseball 100. It's, they will love it's it. It's written by Joe Pugnansky. Pugnansky, yes, and it's excellent. But I want to just say, too... Don't say you're doing horribly. You read what you read. It's really, <laughs> it's not a race. As long as you are enjoying it, like you've been reading the Baseball 100 for several weeks in pieces yeah, the, because it is so long, but you've been loving it. So there's no, oh, it's so there's good. no competition here to say, oh, I read this I, many. I'm probably self-sabotaging on that one a little bit because I'm so torn. There's part of me that wants to finish it and talk about it and move on, but it's so good. Every essay I read, I'm like, man. Okay, I mean, again, I'm already giving a spoiler here. He picks his 100 greatest baseball players ever. And one of the things about Joe as a writer is that everybody has a story. And so this is 100 stories. And I read one and I go, oh my gosh, that's the best one in the book until the next one. And I'm like, no, Yogi Berra was the best. I said, no, the Tom Seaver one was even better. No, the John Henry Lloyd one was the best one we, yet. We get the idea. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think I'm down to 22, so I can only pick 22 more favorites, but it's that good. But anyway, anyway. I'm, it's good enough that I'm planning to at least give it a shot. So and mm. I, I love baseball. I don't always love baseball writing. So. You love Joe's stuff, though, his Buck O'Neill book. I do. Yeah. I mean, that's that's like a quasi religious book for me. That's that's one of those that I could do every year. Yeah. Okay. Well, tell to us about what you actually did read for the past two weeks. Well, I've been working... Well, did, you know, at least get finished. So. Yeah, yeah. I've been working on uh, Jonathan Igg's massive biography of Muhammad Ali. Uh, Ali is timely. I started the big new PBS series about him, and I didn't get very far, partially because I didn't want to jump on Igg's biography. Igg is a great sports biographer. He wrote a Lou Gehrig book called Luckiest Man, uh, which is very well regarded. And he did a Robinson book, I believe called Opening Day, about that 1947 season when Robinson breaks into the major leagues. Uh, but Ali is more conventional as a biography. It's also my favorite of the Ike books I've read so far. Um, maybe it's because there was more I didn't know about Ali than, than Gehrig or Robinson, but it's a very complete, well-told biography all the way back in his childhood and his days growing up in Louisville all the way up through the difficult later years. Uh, and, you know, we talk a lot on here about how a biographer's role is to tell the story and not to fixate on criticism or to gloss over weaknesses and troubles. And I think Ike balances that very well. I mean, he's a great writer anyway, but I think this book was head and shoulders better than the Gehrig book and even better than the Robinson book. Awesome. So there was that, and there was Clay's Quilt by Silas House. Which is the first Silas House book that either of us read. Yeah, and I went to it because I'm, I'm trying to expose uh, our daughter to a little bit of Appalachian culture, and I think it's in part 
impossible to follow for her. I think they do things that make no sense to her. I don't think it's been her favorite. I yeah. think it, honestly, I just, it's an adult book. I think it was just over her head. But. Yeah, it may be, but, uh, but it's still a great story. And it does, you know, Silas is such a, a beautiful writer. Oh, he really is. That he, he, there are times I get choked up in that book just because of what a good job he does of capturing the atmosphere of the land that is my home and the places I've been and the people I've known, uh, it's all in there. And, uh, you know, he's, he's a, an American original, a Kentucky original, and I'm glad he's out there writing. I haven't read his last book or two or three, but uh, I look forward to them too. And, you know, he's, uh, he's doing important work. Just, yeah, he is an absolutely gorgeous writer. I still remember reading Clay's Quilt and then how I ran out and got, um, they were, they were it's almost a trilogy. The Cold Tattoo, I think, is the one that's my favorite. That was my very favorite. I love that the one. Parchment of Leaves is, I believe, the other one. Um, or is that the fourth one? That might not I don't be know. That, I, that may be a different one. I don't know. I'm not sure either. I know we both read Eli the Good, too. Uh-huh. But anyway, The Cold Tattoo and Clay's Quilt, for sure, we both. Red and loved, yeah, so. Yeah. And whatever the third one of the trilogy. I, it was beautiful, too. Yeah. But Colt too, I think, was my favorite. But then favorite. he started writing about, like, the the three of those books that we're trying to remember the third one, they were all about the same family. Right. And then they he started, together, then yeah. he branched out and started, like, creating, it's all in the same setting, all the ones we've read anyway. Yeah. But the but it's, it's other characters. So. Right. Okay. I finished four books. And that includes our shared read that we'll talk about in a minute. The first one is called A Little Hope, and it's by Ethan Joella. And when I started this book, I thought the title was really ironic because it's one of the most sad books I've ever read. Um, it, it felt very sad. It felt too sad at first. Um, it follows this tiny little town and the um, sad things that happen to the people in it. Um, a woman who's lost her husband. Um, and loses her son, a man who's a father and a husband, he has cancer, another man who has to try to figure out how to deal with the secret that he's kept in his marriage for a very long time. Um, but what I found as I read this book was that it, it was incredibly hopeful because that's all we can really do with our griefs. You know, we mm-hmm. live through them and we hope for better. We hope for more. We dream through them. Well, I'm I'm a big believer in the fellowship of shared misery sometimes as one of our, our biggest contributions. I mean, if you've gone through something terrible in your life, one of the few real positives that come of it is you can talk to other people who go through that or similar events well, with an understanding they don't always get from anybody else. It didn't really, I, there was connection over grief in this book for mm-hmm. sure. Um, because you're right, that is one of the ways that we that we get through things is by connecting with people who have been through, who've been through it also. But um, I think from, it's kind of hard for me to talk about this book. It, it did ultimately end in a very hopeful manner. Um, grief is just so weird. And, and the way that it hits every person is so strange. And there were some of these stories that I looked at and I really struggled with because it was too much. I had not been through something like that like personally, and it was just, it was so much sadness that was overwhelming me. And then they'd get to one where I was like, oh, been there. And I was almost eagerly reading the story Mm -hmm. and I could easily see the hope in that. Does that make any sense? Mm -hmm. So um, I think this was a really, really 
it's a quiet book, but it was a really great book about grief. Um, I felt like for me, the things that I connected to personally, this was almost something that was healing for me to read. Yeah. Um, and, and it might be healing for other people as well. You know you fit the big time as a podcaster when in the middle of your podcast someone comes to you and lets you comb their hair. I don't know if everybody else has this experience, but it's one that we can have in this uh, season of our lives. And I don't mean to belittle it because everybody won't need their hair combed forever. So, All right, I'm gonna, let me talk about these other books. <laughs> um, then after I finished A Little Hope, I got on a Christmas kick, and I'm still on this kick. I basically went to Instagram and found um, every Christmas book that anybody was recommending, and then I went to the library and reserved them all. And so I finished two of them this time. I'm about a little over halfway through with another one, and then I still have one more Christmas book waiting on the shelf just, you know, to help me get in the mood for the upcoming season. Those clerks at the library think I'm the most Christmas-obsessed person <laughs> in the world. Because you go pick up all well, of I'm, I'm the one who has the card for, the, for that library, so, yeah, I'm the one who goes and gets it. But I, I think they understand. <laughs> they should because you've checked out a lot of um, – you, you check out a variety I mean, of books. YA uh, series, uh, kids' books about hip-hop. You know, yeah, it's it's all over the place with me. You never your know. romance fix every now and then. Oh, of course. Anyway, the first one I finished was called The Holiday Swap by Maggie Knox. And in this book, you have twins who um, live on the West Coast. Um, one of them lives in the tiny town where they both grew up trying to run their parents' bakery. The other has moved to... California, where she is the host of a cooking show. Um, she has an accident on set one day. She hits her head. She has a concussion. She can't taste or smell. And she's got to finish this cooking show and win the next show that she wants to be on. So she and her twin switch places. And the story is about oh. the hijinks that um, ensue leading up to Christmas. So I, none of these Christmas, they're, they're my version of Hallmark movies. I don't sit down and watch. <laughs> That's actually what I thought about yeah, when I was picking them I up. don't sit down and watch Hallmark movies because it's really, <laughs> it's really hard to find time to watch one from start to finish. And with movies, I'll forget stuff too. And I, I just, I don't watch a ton of TV, but this gives me my Hallmark movie fix. Okay. Then the other one that I finished is called Christmas by the Book by Anne-Marie Ryan. This one was set in the Cotswolds in England, so you've got a book in the title, you've got it being set at Christmas, and you've got it set in England. This is like my sweet spot of books. <laughs> so, um, anyway, the two main characters run a little bookshop in one of the tiny towns, and we've been there. I mean, like, not to this town, but we've been to um, the Cotswolds, and it's beautiful. Absolutely just these gorgeous, charming little towns. They live in one of them. They run the bookshop. But seasons... Um, uh, tourist seasons are hard. Everybody orders off Amazon now. Um, their bookshop is failing. And one of the things they do as they face the fact that they're not going to make it is they give away some books. They basically get on Twitter and they're like, hey, who's having a hard time? Who needs a book? And they pick six different people from the responses. Like people nominate other people. Mm -hmm. And then it, it has to be all local people there in their town. And they deliver the books. And they've, like, chosen the most comforting books that they can think of. Um, I think that all of the books had to do with Christmas somehow. And they delivered the books. And you see how these books affected the lives of the people in the town and how the giving of the books affected this couple. And it was, it was wonderful, too. It's always yeah, it's meta to write a, really a sweet. book about bookstores, so that, that always works well, too, because you know everybody who owns a bookstore is like, oh, my gosh, yes. 
I'm starting to feel a little bit um, like saturated with sweetness from all of the <laughs> Christmas books I'm reading, but I'm still going to finish the one I'm on and read the next one because I, I feel that this will help me get into the mood for the season. So, All right. All right. That brings us to our shared read, which is The Making of Biblical Womanhood by Allison, Beth, Beth Allison, Allison Barr. Barr yeah. Sorry, I was trying to read that off your tiny screen on your phone. Don't um, insult my phone screen. No, I'm <laughs> nah. It's pretty small. Yeah. Okay, we. I heard about this book as I hear about so many things because I was on Instagram and Haley at the Lazy Bookshelf um, said that she had read this and her mind had been blown. And I thought, well, that sounds interesting. So I got this book as fast as I could, read it. It blew my mind too. And I finished it and immediately handed it to you. Well, and it's funny to me because she was the one who uh, put us on to Jesus and John Wayne by Kristen Dumay. And, and they, Dumay she, comes well, yeah. up a couple of times in this book. So, yeah. so yeah, it's kind of a, a complete the circle kind of thing. So why don't you tell the people what it's about? Uh, Dr. Barr is a historian, and she's very careful to say, I bring you what I bring you as a historian, not as a theologian, not to tell you what the solution to the world's problems are, but her basic thesis, I would say, is that the modern evangelical complementarian is the word that is generally used, view of womanhood, uh, is largely fabricated. It's largely outside the basis of the historical record. It's outside the basis of church history. Um, it's a, a power creation, and she kind of goes through her evidence as to why she believes that to be so. Um, I think probably the chapter in the book that was most fascinating for me was her, her chapter on the Apostle Paul and how she believes that many of his most quoted uh, writings on the role of women and the nature of the, the gender divide of women. Yeah, are, are wildly misunderstood. Um, that, was de- that was definitely the mind blow, the first mind blowing yeah. moment. And, and it, she's honest in her book about saying, I started writing about this because of my real life. She uh, is married to a, he was a, a youth, youth pastor in Texas who lost his job because he challenged his, I think, Southern Baptist, I'm not sure that's ever explicitly said, but it's, I feel like that's the case, yeah. uh, church on their restrictive views of, of how women could serve. After, and when we say challenged, didn't he just, like, ask them to reconsider? Yeah, the, the back story here is Dr. Barr, who, again, doctor, and that's a, a you know, Ph.D. doctor, uh, wanted to teach a Sunday school class uh, that included young boys and that church uh, would not allow that to happen. They felt that that was unacceptable. That was contrary to the Bible. Um, Like teenage boys. Yes. Yeah. 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 Not like five-year-olds. That is an important distinction. Yeah. Uh, And periodically through the book, she shares parts of her own experience now, that's the sort of thing that in a lot of books will throw me off. I, I'm like, okay, pick your lane. Either tell me your story or tell me the historical record, but don't confuse both. But she did it so well. She really did move from one to the other in a way that I was invested in her personal journey, but also uh, it didn't in any way detract from the historical record that she was so thorough in pursuing. And I really liked that um, in her structure of the book, she did not lay out any clear guidelines for this is the way it should be. Yeah. Rather, she 
laid out the historical implications that she wanted to highlight in regards to biblical passages and the way the church has treated women, and then posed questions. And at first, I really wanted her to say, this is why the church is wrong. But mostly what she said was, what if? You know, could, could we at least be open to the idea that possibly we have misinterpreted, right. that we do not have all of the answers that we think we do, that God is bigger than the rules we try to write for him. And I just, it's so much food for thought. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, you and I have talked about this often. I am the oldest of four girls. I was raised in a Methodist church. I was in college before any of this stuff, like, I didn't hear this really. And it's know? funny because you you culturally grew up very much within the realm of the worldview yeah. uh, that exists here. But but but, but you had, had a, a female, female pastor. pastor. Yeah, that that at one point. specific limitation was not germane to you. And I had parents who who did everything they could to bring me to people who would talk to me when I had questions. I remember very much being like before anybody because I was, I was a little kid, being very stumped by the Pauline letters and trying to figure out what this meant about women. Was, was I living wrong? You know, because we did not live really bound by these kinds of rules. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't understand it. My parents, you know, called um, a couple of pastors who were friends who talked me through what they believed. And, and what they said was not exactly the same as what she posits in her book. But they hold hands, you know, like the two things, what they said and what she said. Oh, yeah. Um, and then I, I, I got about into college, and <laughs> there's all this stuff. And I, it, it, it was very different for me mm-hmm. to try to understand where all of these um, rules and regulations came from and why, why it was so easy for everybody to believe them. Yeah, and, and I came at it from a different place, but but really with the same thing. I mean, I grew, grew up going to an Episcopal church. I had a female uh, minister then when I was, oh, goodness. She came in when I was eight or nine, I guess. Uh, and similarly, it was always one of those things that I knew there were people who were really strident about that in the way that there are people who are really strident about everything. Right. Um, but I did not think that it was the gospel necessarily. Well, and to you know? be honest, I never really gave it a lot more thought until I had a daughter. Um, yeah. And I mean, I knew you weren't limited in anything you were going to do <laughs> by what anybody was going to tell you. Uh, but But it has always rankled me a little bit, this notion that because she's... A woman, there are certain roles that she just can't assume regardless of what God may tell her, regardless of what direction she feels compelled to follow in her life, in her knowledge, in in her passion. Uh, That's always struck a little bit funny at me. So that brings me to the other part of Dr. Barr's book that was very interesting to me, which was the way that she kind of drew out the names um, of women in the Bible yes. who acted in roles that were contrary to what the complementarian um, dictates say. Yes. And that, you know, we accept that in the Bible. So why, why do we put these heavy yokes on people? <laughs> anyway, the, we don't have any answers for this, just like she doesn't have answers, but we have a lot of questions that we um, have really thoroughly enjoyed discussing through the reading of this book. Yeah, would recommend it. It's a quick read, only about 220 pages. Um, 
very much in the same vein as Jesus and John Wayne. Um, oh, can I say one more thing? Yeah, sure. The other thing that really stood out to me that I appreciated about this book was the way that she talks about her own complicity in um, the complementarian, uh, whatever, attitudes. Because she said, you know, there were so many times in my church, in my friendships, that people would say things that um, expressed this viewpoint that limited women in the church. And I kept quiet because they were my friends. They were um, people that I respected. I didn't want to rock the boat, but I knew better. Yeah. And you and I have talked about that sometimes too, the way that sometimes in the world of church, it is so much easier, so much more comfortable just go to just go along. And yet that that's definitely not what the Bible asks us to do. Yeah. Um, and there's no idea, none so big and scary that we can't discuss it. Yeah, yeah, there better not be. Yeah. <laughs> or, or else, what are we doing? Yeah, there, there's not. So the idea that we don't all agree or believe the same things about how to interpret the Bible, about how to live out our politics, about how to um, exemplify our beliefs in our lives, we don't have to agree, but we have to be able to discuss it. Yeah, that, that hit hard. I've uh, been very convicted of that in my own life. And, uh, you know, I, I think on some level... To be a Christian, you kind of fundamentally downplay the weird. We don't want to be weird. We don't want, you know, so many ways you, you feel unusual. You know what? It's going to be kind of endemic to this thing we do. We, we believe a baby was born of a virgin, was crucified, and rose from the grave three days later. We're weird. <laughs> we're, we're Protestants because a German man said enough is enough, and he nailed some stuff on the door of the church, and they called him a heretic. He was weird. We got to be a little bit weird to be true to what it is that we believe. I agree with that, too. Which is no problem, because we're pretty weird. So. <laughs> As you know if you've been listening very long. Anyway, anyway, ran over. Great book. Enjoyed it. It really uh, was. Again, I enjoy any... What I want from a book about um, faith is a book that leads me to think about something in a different way. It may not ultimately change my mind, but it gives me a new way, a new thing to contemplate, a new yep. thing to discuss, to pray through. And I feel like this book would do that for pretty much anybody. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Tell us about our next book. Okay. Uh, we're going to go on to uh, Pat Conroy, A Low Country Heart, Reflections on a Writing Life. You said, um, right, as we chose this book, that you feel like all we do is talk about Pat Conroy. We talk about Pat Conroy a lot. But he's worth talking and about. we don't talk about Prince of Tides enough, which is Pat Conroy's greatest novel, and you're going to say, uh, you know, heretical things now that I, I will not I don't want tolerate. to get angry emails from people who agree with you because a lot of people love that book. It's so and it's a great book. It's, so it's just good. It's just not my favorite. But you know what? That's not what we're talking about. A Low Country Heart is, um, the subtitle is Reflections on a Writing Life, and I believe that this was the book that was put together after his death mm -hmm. of essays that he had written. Just kind of um, a beautiful way to say goodbye to Pat Conroy. I read it the second that it came out. Um, you haven't read it yet. No, no. I, uh, his reading book is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. If his writing book is half as good, and I don't see how it can't be, uh, then it'll definitely be worth my while. But you'll hear about that in two weeks. We hope you enjoy your holiday. If you have anything to say about the books that we've read or anything you think we ought to be reading, you can find us on email at paperbackreaderspod at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram at paperbackreaderspod or on Twitter at paperbackreaderspod. Or paperbackreaders. 
No, it's Peatback Readers Pod. Okay, right. thank you. <laughs> yeah, I think. <laughs> I hope. Maybe maybe just stick to email and Instagram yeah, for the moment. No, no, it is Pod. Okay. Right. Yeah. But uh, thanks for all the feedback. If you got some good uh, stuff we need to pick up for each other for Christmas, holler at us. So oh yes, definitely. Because we're working on that, uh, and hope you're. And uh, books are the best presents. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. I hope you're doing something similar on your end. But whatever you're doing, keep reading.